Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Thank you, choir and orchestra, for blessing us every week. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2 in verse 25 in a little bit. An elderly man came to a young doctor in a small town. The young doctor was nervous as he asked the man about his symptoms. He listened to all of the ailments and was contemplating his diagnosis. However, he didn't have a clue what was wrong with this man. And so he asked the older man, have you ever had this before? And the elderly man said, yes. And the doctor said, well, you have it again. (laughs) Here we are at Christmas and we have it again. Christmas time means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Some are hoping that Christmas is going to bail them out, so to speak. Maybe if you're in business, you need to have bumper sales to help financially. But I'm talking about people enter the Christmas time and they think, well, I just need this good time. And yet, if it comes up empty, there's a lot of depression and sometimes people even opt out of life, everyone has expectations. You've got them. Are they good? Some are good, some are bad. The head of the Texas Employment Commission several years ago said that they had a hard time getting men to be department store Santa Clauses uh, one particular year, and the reason was that a high percentage of children were kicking Santa in the shins for not coming through the year before. They expected Santa to live up to his billing and deliver the goods as they requested. Bill Adler, in his book, Letters to Santa, reveals that some children can even develop some hostility because of their excessive expectations. One little boy wrote, Dear Santa Claus, Last year, you didn't leave me anything good. The year before, you didn't leave me anything good. This year is your last chance. (laughs) Sounds like a threat, doesn't it? And then kids have a hard time waiting for Christmas because of their expectations. Here's some actual letters written to Santa. Dear Santa Claus, when you come to my house, there will be cookies for you, but if you're real hungry, you can use our phone and order a pizza to go. (laughs) Dear Santa, I want a puppy. I want a playhouse. Thank you. I've been good most of the time. However, sometimes I've been wild. This is from a four-year-old. Dear Santa, I'll take anything because I haven't been that good. And finally, dear Santa, I'm not going to ask for a lot. Here's my list. The Etch-A-Sketch Animator, two packs of number two pencils, crayon or Crayola fat markers, and the big gift, my own color TV. Well, maybe you could drop the pencils. I don't want to be really selfish. (laughs) It's a time of high hopes and expectations. Even adults have expectations. 
One little four-year-old granddaughter was engrossed in drawing a picture of the nativity scene. She finally took it to her dad for his approval. And he said, honey, it's excellent. But why is one of Joseph's legs longer than the other? She said, he's stamping his feet. Well, why is he stamping his feet? He wanted a girl. (laughs) Someone said, blessed is he who expects nothing for he shall never be disappointed. Folks, expectations. Everyone's got them. You have them right now. There's nothing wrong with expectations unless they're the wrong kind. Expectations can land you in the land of doubt and despair. If you expect God or your parents or your children or anybody to cater to your every whim, then you are in for a big disappointment. And if you expect Christmas to meet every one of your needs, you've lined up again for disappointment. There are no promises in the Bible that indicates Christmas is the way, the truth, and the life. And by trusting in it, you have the abundant life. I'm not knocking it. I love this time of year just like you do. But I also feel the stress at times, and I feel the, the need all around. And you think, how, how can we have an up Christmas? And if you think, if you're one of those people that thinks, if I'd have it just right, it really becomes a form of idolatry that you're thinking Christmas is going to rescue you. I'm not being negative today. It's going to end in a positive way, but I I don't want you to think for a minute that I don't like it. I enjoy this time of year, but I also know it's a very difficult time of year for a lot of people. And one of the reasons is because of what I call worldly expectations. Again, expectations are enjoyable. I mean, especially at Christmas time. Do you ever play Easter music months before Easter. And I mean, we hear songs that we've heard over and over and over. There's no holiday like Christmas. The expectation is half the fun. You listen, you hear music that you've heard before. You, you do things you've done before. And, and my goodness, they've had stuff in stores since September to remind us of Christmas is coming. And if you have the Hallmark Channel, you've been watching Christmas movies till, since July. I'm not going to ask you to confess who's doing that, but you've been watching them. When we see the worldly expectations, you think we can escape the myth of living for the day and enjoying the journey when we see worldly expectations. What are they? Well, there are emotional expectations. We hope that somehow, some way, something will happen that will allow us to feel the warmth of the Christmas spirit. That's why we decorate the house. That's why we go to parties. That's why we listen to Christmas music. We've heard hundreds of times before. We watch movies like it's a wonderful life. We, we think there's an up feeling with the season. And if we don't get it, then, well, we just, it just wasn't that good. I never really got into the Christmas spirit. And that's happened, hasn't it? A large portion of the depression associated with Christmas is due to people's unauthorized expectations. People even stop, they start expecting not to spill milk anymore during the holidays. Nothing's bad is going to happen. And people who aren't friendly to one another, all of a sudden, they become best friends. 
And we expect the whole world to stop the war and the murder and the robbery and every form of evil. And they're shattered when they realize they still spill milk every now and then. But Christmas doesn't make the world a paradise. The first one didn't. It was anything but a paradise. It's also unrealistic from the point of psychiatry. One psychiatrist wrote, any celebration that sets up an unrealistic magical expectations is very unfair to human beings. People are pushed to deny the reality of their lives, their financial situation, their true relationships. They're almost a delusional mood. In other words, people try to live in the realm of a myth. They buy things they really can't afford. They pretend to be more loving than they really are, but it doesn't work very long. Tom Mullen says, seldom does reality measure up to the artificial and sentimental vision of Christmas, which Hollywood, Hallmark cards, the Chamber of Commerce, and our bad memories create for us. He says, if we dream of a white Christmas and it doesn't snow, then we're upset because even the weather's against us. You might as well get ready to have Christmas in shorts and a t-shirt this year. (laughs) But we get out the manger scene thinking it's immediately ready to set up and then you can't find one of the shepherds and one of the camel's legs is missing. (laughs) And instead of a manger scene, it becomes a mangy scene. The family sits down to read the Christmas story and you think you have this idyllic dream that children are going to listen with awe like they've never heard it before. And then one of them says, can we open presents now? Just doesn't quite happen, does it? There's also material expectations. Giving and receiving, a lot of emphasis on the receiving. That's why retail stores put up their Christmas displays in October, September. Some of you may remember that movie, A Christmas Story. Who's the star? Ralphie. What does Ralphie want? He wants an official Red Rider 200-shot range model air rifle. But he's got a big obstacle, problem. His mom is afraid that he'll put out his eye. Ralphie sweats it big time and he decides, if mom won't say yes, I'll check with Santa. And he kind of goes down the chute for a while, but it all works out in the end. By the way, (laughs) after the last service, somebody came up to me and said, I got one of those Red Rider BB guns and Christmas Day shot out my grandfather's television. (laughs) And it was one of those furniture style. I didn't ask what grandpa said. Real life, you you don't get everything you want. You just don't. Or you get a bunch of stuff you really don't want. Do you all remember, some of you are old enough to remember the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes? It was one of my favorite. Calvin's a little guy. He's, a, he's, a, he's not very old. And he's got a stuffed tiger named Hobbs who he's all the time carrying on these conversations with. Well, Calvin is talking to Hobbs, his stuffed tiger. And he says, do you think there's an evil Santa? And Hobbs says, an evil Santa? 
Yeah, like Santa's deranged twin brother or something. He'd make toys for all the bad boys and girls. Evil Santa would give all the dangerous, annoying, and corrupting toys your parents won't allow. And Hobbes said, well, what if you're good? Calvin said, he punishes you with shirts and underwear. (laughs) We also have relational expectations. We believe that we ought to experience the love of family and friends at a deeper level. After all, it's a wonderful life. What's the last phrase that George Bailey learns? His brother Harry reminds him, the man who has friends has everything. The relational expectation is one of the reasons so many people travel at Christmas. Where are they going? They're going home. Are they going to be with family? It's why Christmas is painful for a lot of people whose family is not together or they've lost loved ones or it's just not the same anymore. Dr. Howard Hendricks used to teach at Dallas Theological Seminary. He was also a great marriage counselor. And he said, the greatest reason for failure in marriage is unrealistic expectations. People expect too much of each other and assume that they could, if they just would, make every waking moment of life full of excitement and satisfaction. Nobody wants to put up with the reality of monotony, boredom, and routine. People who don't have anything to anticipate. One runaway in Chicago said, I've done everything, had all the thrills, and I don't want to go on living. There's nothing more to anticipate and people who are hooked on that emotional drug of all the time expecting something to give them a thrill, they're always let down. Well, folks, I want to tell you, Christmas is is not, if, if it's all it's about is emotions or material goods or relationships, then you have to be extremely lucky for everything to line up just right. I mean, you've got to hear the right songs, watch the right movies, drop the right hints to get the right presents, hope that everyone's in the right mood, hope the weather doesn't mess up your travel plans, and it's almost impossible to manufacture all of that. So, instead of putting our expectation in worldly expectations, we know better. When I say we, I'm talking about people who love Jesus and know Christ. We know better. Is there an alternative? Yes. And I want us to look at it. And what I'm about to read you happens 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Now, Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. And now 33 days later, Mary and Joseph and Jesus enter the temple again to perform the final ceremonies, the final dedication ceremonies of the child. Look at verse 25, Luke chapter 2. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him according to the customs of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. I want you to notice in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation for which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. Did you know God has built in the heart of every man the hope of something? And what is amazing is the way that God had prepared the world for the coming of Jesus. Now, let me illustrate this. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, the prophet said that the Messiah would be the desire of all nations. And this implies that God had put in all peoples a desire for a deliverer. Now, I don't want to bore you for the next three minutes, but I want to read some quotes to you from people around the world in other countries before Jesus was born. Listen to this. Plato Y'all heard of him? The Greek philosopher said, we must wait for someone to be a God or God-inspired man who will teach us our duties and take away the darkness from our eyes. Here's one of the most brilliant men who ever lived, and he knew he couldn't deliver men from darkness. He said someone else more than him is going to have to do that. Tacitus. The Roman historian said, people were generally persuaded in the faith of the ancient prophecies that the East was to prevail and that from Judea was to come the master and ruler of the world. Suetonius, another Roman, it was an old and constant belief throughout the East that by undoubtedly certain prophecies, the Jews were to attain the highest power. The prophecies of Israel influenced the thinking of other peoples and filled them with expectation. China. Now, China's further east than Judea. So China had to look to the west. Listen to what China. In the annals of the celestial empire, we read this statement. In the 24th year of Chao Wang of the dynasty of the Chao, on the eighth day of the fourth moon, a light appeared in the southwest which illumined the king's palace. The monarch, struck by its splendor, interrogated the sages. They showed him books in which this prodigy signified the appearance of the great saint of the west whose religion was to be introduced into their country. Cicero excuse me, six centuries before Christ, Achilles wrote, look not for any end, moreover, to this curse until God appears to accept upon his head the pangs of thy own sins vicarious. Sounds like an expectation of not only Christ, but his death and atonement for sin. Cicero writes of the ancient oracle, which speaks of a king whom we must recognize to be saved. 
Virgil, in his fourth eclogue, recounts the ancient tradition of a new order of the ages with a new race to come out of a virgin from the heights of heaven. This child said Virgil could cast out fear and make the serpent die. Is it any wonder that the early Christians believed these pagan writers were prophesying about Christ? And then finally, in that in Giancarlo Minotti's opera, Amal and the Onite Visitors, the wise men stopped on their way to Bethlehem at the home of a crippled child. They told the family about the great king whose birth had called them from afar. The mother responded, for such a king, I've been waiting all my life. It gives a picture how God has prepared the world for the coming of Jesus. So, Instead of having worldly expectations, let's look at the spiritual expectations. Several of them. Simeon is mentioned. Nowhere else in the Bible is he mentioned except here. We don't know much about him, but in this account, we do know several things about him. He had several expectations. First of all, he expected to die. Because he was told by the Spirit of God that he would see the Messiah before he died. And that's why he said, now your servant can depart in peace. Depart means I'm going to die. But he he had another expectation. He expected that the nation of Israel would somehow be glorified. So the first expectation we're looking at here is consolation. I am looking at the consolation of Israel. Now, 700 years before Simeon, Isaiah prophesied because the people of God's people had sinned and disobeyed and they'd faced judgment. But in Isaiah 40, verse 9, he says this, O crier of good news, shout to Jerusalem from the mountaintops. Shout louder, don't be afraid. Tell the cities of Judah, your God is coming. Your God is coming. It's the consolation. It's a way of describing the day that God would literally come to earth to save his people from their sins. That's what Christmas is about. You take away all the trimmings. You take away the presence and the expectations and the warm feelings. And here it is in a nutshell. God takes on flesh and becomes one of us. He lives a sinless life. He goes to the cross. God puts our sin on him. He dies. He is buried. He is raised again. And he pays the penalty that you and I could not pay. He paid the bill we couldn't pay. So what if instead of focusing exclusively, exclusively on emotions and material things and relationships, we think, God, thank you for coming for me, and I want you to come in a fresh way in my life. You're here. You know about me. I want to be consoled again. I want to be comforted again. I want to be reminded again of just how much you love me. Let that be your focus on Christmas. God loves you enough to come after you. He did. He didn't have to. The second thing is revelation. In verse 32, the prophecy that Jesus would be a light 
for the revelation to the Gentiles. Most everyone in this room is a Gentile. Did you know back in those days, Jews didn't like Gentiles? They had names for them. A Jewish man would get up and thank God that he was not born a Gentile or a woman for that matter. They had names that we, you were a Gentile dog. Now, for Simeon to say he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, you think of the people on this earth that you dislike the most. I'm not going to start naming any of them. I'm talking about groups of people. And I want you to think that Jesus is a light to them. In other words, 700 years before, Isaiah said, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Do you realize that Christmas And that Jesus' coming is not just for religious people. It's for everybody. And I use the word religious in a negative way because a lot of people are religious, but they don't know Jesus. You know him. And what if you allowed this Christmas, what if you allowed yourself to think the unthinkable? That you actually matter to God because you do. He knows your name. He knows the heartache you're going through. He knows the joyous times. You're not lost in the crowd. He ma- you matter to him. He loves you. He made a way at his own expense Because of you and me. Why? Why would he do that? Back in the days when money was tight, of course, it's always tight, isn't it? But a man got all over his five-year-old daughter for wasting some gold-colored wrapping paper. She was trying to wrap a box, and she wasted a lot of extra paper. And if you've ever watched a five-year-old try to wrap a present, you know what I'm talking about. Well, nevertheless, the little girl the next morning brought that box to her dad. It was for him. He said, Daddy, this is for you. And he was embarrassed by his overreaction the day before once he realized the gift was for him. And when he opened the gift, his anger flared again when he found out that the box was empty. He yelled at her. Don't you know that when you give somebody a present, there's supposed to be something inside of it? The little girl looked up at him with tears in her eyes and said, Daddy, it's not empty. I blew kisses into that box just for you. Well, he was crushed. He put his arms around his little girl. He begged for her forgiveness. But he kept that gold box by his bed for many years. Whenever he was discouraged, he would take out an imaginary kiss and remember the love of the child who had put it there. Well, in a very real sense, in a very real way, 
God has given you a container full of his love. He came in the form of Jesus, but I want you to understand that there's not a day goes by, not one day goes by that God doesn't love you. Not one. Well, what about those days when I disappoint him? He still loves you. You can't make God love you any more than he loves you right now. Yeah, we matter to God. God has come to us. He has shown us his love. There's a third thing. I use the word reformation. Look at verse 34. Now, that sounds kind of strange, but Simeon said to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Now, in case you think I'm painting too rosy of a picture, I want to remind you of something. Let me be honest. There's a price to be paid when you follow Jesus. Did you know that Jesus doesn't leave you the same? In fact, he just messes with you. How about that for West Texas language? Everywhere Jesus went and everything he said seemed to upset He upset the Pharisees, the self-righteous Pharisees who were so concerned about following the letter of the law. Jesus said, you guys don't get it. It's not about rule keeping. It's about a relationship with God. Even today, there are people saying, you know what? You ought not to have anything like this and all these decorations. It's all pagan and all. I mean, listen, it's about a relationship with God. Jesus doesn't leave you the same. He said, in fact, he he threw the world on its ear. The world says, love your friends and hate your enemies. Jesus said, you love your enemies and you pray for those who despitefully use you. And if Jesus becomes a part of your life, I'm going to warn you right now. He's not going to leave you the same. In fact, he'll probably want to take your priorities and completely reorder them. He'll mess with you. He'll change your heart. He'll make you like people you don't like. He'll probably ask you to change your opinion on a lot of things. He will lead you in a moral life, and your values will change, and he'll he'll tell you how to do stuff. You see, Jesus is a radical. He'll radically change your life. He'll deliver you from all your sin, but he's not going to leave you there. He said, no, no, no. This is the way God wants you to be, and this is the, where the abundant life comes, and this is where the joy comes, and this is this is this will change everything. He'll reform your life. He'll cause a reformation. That's why Simeon said that the thoughts of many hearts would be revealed in verse thirty-five. You see, religion doesn't show your heart. You can go through the religious acts. Let's face it. A lot of us have been in church. We know all the choreography, don't we? We know when to stand up. We know when to sit down. We know when to sing. We know when to pray. We know when to wake up after the sermon's over. We know where we're going to go. We, we, you're in a, you sit in the same place. Let's just face it. We've got the routine down. And you can go through the motions. 
But God looks at the heart. He said, the hearts will be revealed. Your real heart's shown not in here. It's shown when you leave. It shows in how you live. It shows in how the God leads your life. It, you commit your life. That's why we say when we ask Christ to come into our heart, he didn't live in the pump station. He lives in our being and we give him our life and he radically reforms your life. Can you think about where you would be or can you imagine where you would be if you didn't know Jesus as your Savior? You wouldn't be here today. wonder where you'd be in your life. Well, I'm, my life is messed up and there's a lot of heartache. Well, think about going through all that without anyone to help you. Jesus didn't say everything is going to be rosy. He said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he also said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So maybe you don't get everything you want for Christmas, whatever that might be, emotionally, relationally, or materially. But you know this. I know who I am in God and I know he loves me and there's never been a day he didn't love me. And I know that he's changing my life slowly but surely. He's growing me. He's helping me. And the last thing you see is determination because Simeon said that Jesus was going to be a lightning rod of decision. Listen, you either receive Christ or you reject him. There's no middle ground. You follow Jesus or you reject him. You can say the words. You like the idea of God coming to save us. Yeah, God, I'm all about salvation. I want to be saved. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. But what your heart really feels about is revealed by what you do with Jesus. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you've received the greatest gift ever given to the world, ever. But if you've never received Jesus, then you've rejected the greatest gift ever given. So you have a choice today. You either follow Christ or you don't. So folks, let's don't forget what it's really about. It's about God coming to your house. <laughs> let's put it personally. Can you imagine if you open the door at your home and Jesus was standing there and you really knew it was him. I know what all of us would do. This guy's out of his mind. He thinks he's Jesus. But really, if you think Jesus really came to your door and you open the door, well, I want you to picture God coming after you and me. There's consolation in that. And the fact that somewhere, somehow, you were shown the gospel, it was revealed to you. And the fact that he is changing our life. God's not done with you. <laughs> but if you don't know Jesus today, then, then you're not going to get it. I'm telling you. 
Life is hard. But with Jesus, you have somebody to walk through that hard time with you. I didn't say you'd take it away. I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's burdensome, it's hard. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just telling you, I don't know how people make it without him. Because now you see why they're trying so many things. That's why alcohol, so much alcohol is consumed at this time of year. People trying to drown their problems or taking drugs, just got to escape. Violence. It reveals the heart. But Jesus can change the heart. And you can receive him right now. Would you bow your heads with me? If you've never received Christ, here's what you do. You've never committed your life. You have to first admit that you're a sinner separated from God. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. And I desperately need you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That you came and lived a sinless life and he died on the cross for my sin. I believe he rose again, conquering death and paying the price for my sin. And Lord Jesus, right now I commit my life to you. I want you to come in and live in me. I give my life to you. Father, I pray for those who have given their life to you today. Some may be watching online, some by television, some in this very room. I pray you'll give them courage to stand for you be baptized. The first act of obedience is to profess publicly, to show outwardly what has happened inwardly. They've now been washed clean of their sin, been resurrected to life, eternal life in Jesus. I pray for those that need a church home. If this is the place, you bring them. Lord, I, I pray for those most of all who right now just need a fresh word from you and need to be encouraged, looking beyond all the lights and the trappings, all the parties, all of the, the movies and the music, but to see that you love them deeply and eternally. And there's never been a day that you haven't loved them. I pray you draw them close to you. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.